Good morning. All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. So uh, you can turn there, as Val just reminded us, verse 13 through 23 is where we're going to focus today. Carrying on with this story that we typically regard as a Christmas story, but uh, what we have for the last couple of weeks looked at how God could apply it to our lives each and every day. What, what does it look like to know that the prophecies that are fulfilled here in the beginning of Matthew as we start our way through the Gospel of Matthew in our study What does it mean to know that those prophecies were true when they were said, true when they were fulfilled, and that they are true today for us? And that they should change us in some way, shape, or form when we actually acknowledge that the God that we serve is a God who faithfully fulfills all that he says. So today we're going to look specifically at three different areas of consistency. So as we look at verses 13 through 23... You might be familiar with the story, but what I want to encourage you with today is I'm going to give, I'm going to give you these three points right at the beginning. You can write them down, put them in your scripture journal, or, or just kind of get ready for them, and then we'll kind of unpack them as we go. But the consistency that we see in this particular section from three different parties is critically important for us to know for our spiritual growth and development today. The first one is this. The consistency of the Lord throughout history is highlighted in this passage. The consistency of the Lord throughout history is highlighted in this passage. Secondly, the plan of Satan is consistent throughout history as well. The plan of Satan is consistent throughout history. And then thirdly, God is also consistent in how he speaks to Joseph, and Joseph is consistent in how he responds. So as we look at those three, these three sections today, we're going to read these 10 verses, 13 through 23, but we're looking at God's consistency in his prophecy and his fulfillment, Satan's consistency in his plan and his attack at God's consistency, and then thirdly, how God speaks and how Joseph responds is consistent not only here, but from what we've seen in the previous chapter and a half as well. So let's unpack this a little bit, kind of walk our way through. Let's read verses 13 through 23 together, and then we'll kind of go back through and pull some things apart from it. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. It says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. 
And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. And what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. So may God open our eyes today and speak to our hearts from his word and from his character throughout all of history. And there's some reminders and some repetition in this particular passage of scripture. We see Matthew laying into this idea that God's consistency from all the Old Testament texts, from the the Pentateuch and that Matthew had known and, and been versed in and raised under, all of those promises were being fulfilled. And Matthew is just You can almost kind of feel Matthew's excitement as he writes this, right? He uses a repetitive phrase that he used in chapter 1, verse 22, and in chapter 2, verse 5 already. And he uses it three more times in these 10 verses. It's this phrase, to fulfill the scriptures or to fulfill what the prophets had said. This is the fulfillment of hundreds and hundreds of years of expectation, so I, wanna, I want us to take just a pause for a moment and think about our own expectations, right? There's certain things in life that, that we long for, right, as human beings. And when you go through different seasons of life, they're, they're probably different, different things that we're longing for. But if you're anything like most people that I know, and, and myself included, you, when you want something or, or think that something is going to happen, the waiting is incredibly difficult, isn't it? That in between time, between like maybe even when the Lord tells you something and you you hear clearly from him and when that thing actually happens or comes into your life or when he resolves something for you, the the in-between time is brutal, right? You're like, okay, God, I know you you said this. And that's with us. And that's, that's with us, you know, waiting what? Maybe a couple months? Maybe a few years? We're talking about centuries and centuries of waiting for this event to take place. Thousands of years, God's people have been looking for this exact fulfillment. They've been praying for it. Generations had lived and died and passed on the truth to their kids and their children, their grandchildren. And we had gone through all these different phases in the nation of Israel, the people of God, where they were faithful and then they weren't faithful. And then they repented and God brought them back. And, and then they once again renewed their faith in him, only to a little bit later kind of lose that and wander away again. And we see all this over thousands of years. And they're all waiting, all of them throughout the history of God's people, waiting for this. And here's Matthew writing it down. Think about that. You're Matthew, and you've heard about the generations that have all gone before you and have lived and died and waited and trusted and faithfully looked forward to a Messiah. And now he's here. And Matthew gets to write this down, and that's why I think he's so repetitive what he keeps saying. All these things are happening to fulfill what God has said. It's to fulfill what the prophets prophesied about. It's to fulfill what kings led and fought for. It's it's to to fulfill what the nation of Israel, the people of God, were were living differently in the world around them in order to remain faithful to. For so long, 
Much longer than you and I have waited for anything. And all that anticipation is culminated here. And and Matthew not only gets to be part of it, Jesus calls him into it as a disciple. He lives those three and a half years every day with Jesus, seeing all that Jesus does. He watches him die. He mourns. He sees him resurrected to life. And his life is completely changed because of it. And now he gets to write some of this truth down. And as he's writing, these words that he repetitively brings to us, they do not come across lightly. He says in verse 13, remember we're coming right from the previous section where the the wise men, the magi had shown up, were two years after the birth of Christ, roughly. The wise men showed up, they bring all these gifts. It's surprising and kind of out of the blue, right, for Mary and Joseph. But then right after that, verse 13 says, When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. This fulfills a prophecy that was said much earlier. But it also shows us a consistency in this. There is something that Satan has been trying to do since Genesis chapter 3. And that is to destroy the work of God. In some way, shape, or form, he is, he is on this lifelong pursuit to stop what God is doing and what God prophesied to do through Jesus. And in Genesis 3.15, we see this prophecy that we're going to dig into a little bit later. But we're seeing God's consistency in his faithfulness and his fulfillment of prophecy and promises. And we're seeing Satan's consistency in trying everything to stop it. Here he uses Herod. And you got to put yourself back in Joseph's shoes again, right? Joseph and Mary, they've just been through this remarkable, miraculous experience. The angel of the Lord spoke to Mary and sent her out to see her relative Elizabeth, then spoke to Joseph when Joseph found out that she was pregnant with child and spoke to him and said, keep Mary, raise the child, name him Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. So they've had this experience already where an angel shows up and talks to them, tells them exactly what to do. And we remarked in chapter one and the beginning of chapter two at how their responses were faithfully obedient, almost even miraculously obedient. Because honestly, I, I mean, the stuff that Joseph was having to go through and trying to figure out what was actually going on in his life, apart from God leading him through that, he'd have made very different choices. So that faithful obedience is carried over here. Once again, we see an angel of the Lord showing up and telling Joseph. I mean, it's kind of becoming commonplace for Joseph at this point. I'm a little envious, to be completely honest, because oftentimes I'm trying to figure out what the will of God is in the next particular phase. I would love for a very clear dream that wasn't connected to my lack of sleep or something I ate the night before, right? That, That I was confident was the Lord speaking to me. And every time that I start to read or think about, man, I wish that the Lord would show up in a dream and tell me exactly. 
get up, go there. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? Then the Lord convicts me and says, you know why you don't need that? I say, why, God? Because I already did. You've got it. I've told you what to do. It's not a mystery to us. We have the word of God. It's, it's laid out clearly for us. And so often I think I, I, I talk and I, I, I counsel with Christians all the time and they're thinking, I just wish God would speak to me. I'm like, he did. He did. You don't need what Joseph got because Joseph didn't have what you have. You've got it all. I've got it. We have it. I don't need some special dream from God to tell me to be faithful, to be obedient. He already did. And he used hundreds of his faithful servants to record their stories to remind us to stay in it. See, these verses are not just Joseph and Mary and Herod and a few acting characters in this particular part of God's story. This is clarity from the Lord for you and for me. It was clarity for Joseph, and it's clear for us. When God speaks, we're called to faithfully obey. And God has spoken And he continues to speak today through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He guides and directs. But everything that the Lord will ever tell you and lead you in in the work of the Holy Spirit will match up with what he's already done. There's nothing new coming, folks. This is it. And everything God tells us to do going forward can be measured by what he's always done which is exactly what Matthew is doing. He's hearing crazy stories. He's seeing crazy stuff. He's seeing miraculous healings. And what he's measuring it by is the prophet's words from the Lord. Does that match? That does match. Imagine that. It's exactly what God said was going to happen. And now it's happening. I think way too often... We read passages like this and hear of dreams and visions from the Lord and we ask the Lord for something new. Don't do that. It's probably not the Lord if it's new. And Matthew was saying this. This wasn't new even when it was being said to Joseph in a dream. God's saying, Joseph, get up, take the mother and child, go to Egypt. Okay, Hosea chapter 11 already said you were going to do that. Now you're just doing it. God's word said it. Now you go do it. This is the formula for faithful obedience that we're seeing in Joseph's life here. In verse 15, we see it. Uh, It said, to fulfill the prophecy out of Egypt, I have called my son. That's Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. And here it happens that they have to go to Egypt to flee and come back from Egypt later. Verse 18. In verse 18, we see the words, or in 17, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. In verse 18 says, a voice was heard in Ramah, 
weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Herod goes into the same area being talked about here, Rama, and Rachel is, is a picture of the, the nation of Israel. And Herod goes in and kills what most historians think was probably upwards of 20 to 30 two-year-old boys in a day. That's horrific. It's horrific. And it would totally throw you off kilter while trying to figure out what God's doing in the world if you didn't know Jeremiah. And Matthew says in Jeremiah 31.15, it's quoted here, there will be weeping heard for children for they are no more. And I guarantee there was weeping throughout Bethlehem in the area and the region that day. He goes on in verse 22 and 23 to tell us, verse 23, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. This is at the end of this particular part of the story when they come back. That what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, he shall be called a Nazarene. And he doesn't even use one particular prophecy here because a bunch of the prophets prophesied this one. It comes from this word Nazarene. It, it relates to the Hebrew word, word netzer, which means branch. And all throughout scripture, one name for Jesus is the branch of Jesse. This is why Matthew wrote prophets, plural, since Christ is called the branch in Isaiah chapter 11 and in Isaiah chapter 4, in Jeremiah chapter 23 and in Jeremiah 33, in Zechariah chapter 3 verse 8, and then later in Zechariah chapter 6 verse 12, the Messiah is consistently referred to with this particular word. Connects Nazarene, branch, to the coming Savior. I mean... Folks, honestly, when you, when you look at these things that are removed from generations and hundreds and hundreds of years apart, and you see them specifically fulfilled in this particular coming of Christ, there's no denying that God is fulfilling exactly what he has said he would do. So the consistency of the Lord is, is highlighted all through these 10 verses, 13 through 23. Secondly, in order for us not to be naive, we need to understand that the plan of Satan is consistent throughout history. Satan provokes Herod to go and do this and to kill these children in order to try to stop what Herod thinks is just a king that's going to take his throne, but what Satan knows is the Messiah that's going to take the eternal throne. And when he tries to provoke Herod to do this, we're seeing exactly what was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, there is what, I'm going to give you a big word here. You don't have to worry too much about it, but for some of you eggheads, this will help. Okay? It's called the Proto-Evangelium. Okay? I'm not even going to spell it for you because it's actually not that important. But this idea, I'm going to tell you what it means. The Proto-Evangelium in, in Genesis chapter 3 Verse 15 is this. God gives us in, in the third chapter of Scripture a preview of man's ultimate triumph over Satan 
through a Savior. It's just, it's a preview. It's proto-evangelium, evangelium being the, the good news of the Messiah that's coming and the proto being like a preview and kind of a precursor, okay? So in Genesis 3, we have a precursor of what's happening right here with Herod. And the prophecy in Genesis 3.15 is this. God says to the serpent, I shall put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise his heel and he shall bruise your head. The word bruise there is also can be translated crushed. So we're seeing this prophecy that Satan will get something in, get a wound in, he'll get something in there. But the final wound will come from the offspring of Eve in the line of David, which all through the Old Testament traces us right through to Christ. Herod most likely thought he was acting under his own free will. His own selfishness, his own protection of his crown. We already have established he was an evil guy who did a ton of evil stuff. And even as he enters in to do this, he thinks he's working under his own power, but he is not. He is a tool of Satan here. He's a tool of Satan. And Satan, his mission, his purpose, and his plan has never changed since Genesis 3. He wants to kill and destroy anything that God is establishing as good. Most importantly, the Messiah who will crush his head, symbolically meaning win once and for all. Because a wound on your heel might hurt, but it's not going to kill you. If your head gets crushed, that's pretty much it. That's the picture from Genesis 3. And that's what happens at the cross. Satan wounds the Savior. His wounds on our behalf. But those wounds are not final. Because he rises and defeats sin and Satan and death forever. Done. One wound being a flesh wound, one wound being a mortal wound. And this is said in Genesis 3, and it's coming to fulfillment here in Matthew, in, in his day, and Matthew's watched it. Can you imagine his excitement? This is something he's lived, we're not sure how old Matthew is right when he's writing this, but he's probably somewhere in his 40s. He's already been persecuted. He's going to eventually be killed for his faith. In his whole life, he has been pointed towards a Messiah coming. And you got to know that probably in some of those conversations, it was, there's a Messiah coming. God keeps telling us it's probably not going to be, you're probably not going to see him. <laughs> you know, I mean, just being realistic here. We've been talking for generations upon generations about this happening. And, and we're going to believe that God's going to do it, but none of us are ever going to see it. And all of a sudden, Matthew gets to see it. Can you imagine the excitement and also the life-changing events that Matthew has witnessed? That's why he keeps saying, it's just like the prophet said. And then something else happens and he's like, that's just like the prophet said. And then something else happens and he's like, God already told us that was going to happen. 
And this is how we as believers should be living in today's day and age. There are no surprises for God. He's not surprised at the environment we live in. He's not surprised at the depravity that goes on around us. He's not put on his heels by the fact that we have stuff that, honestly, probably when your parents were young, couldn't even imagine were happening, right? But it doesn't surprise God. He already knows. He's known forever. And he is not thrown off by what happens. By Herod trying to kill a bunch of babies or by any of the depravity and crazy nonsense that Satan's trying to invoke on the world today. God is not surprised by it. This proto-evangelium, this preview of a Savior triumphing over sin, given to us in Genesis 3 and fulfilled here in the recording of Matthew and Mark and Luke, we see these Gospels telling us this is what happened and Jesus' birth is the fulfillment of all that has been said before. So the consistency of the Lord is highlighted. The plan of Satan is consistent. Don't be surprised when evil things happen. Satan is at work, folks. Now, we know the end of the story and we know who wins. But don't be surprised when evil happens around you or occasionally even to you. God is victorious. He will protect you. And we know that we should not be surprised that Satan's trying to stop God's people. It's been going on forever since Genesis chapter 3. Thirdly today, I want to highlight, and this isn't just repetitive. I didn't run out of content, so I decided to go back to something we said a couple weeks ago. It's actually, it's here again, and I thought to myself, well, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about Joseph and his obedience and his faithfulness, and we talked about the remarkable nature in which he responded to God telling him to do something that frankly seemed way out of the box. But it's repeated here for a reason. We see the consistent character of someone following the Lord get played out again here in the end of chapter 2. God is consistent in how he speaks to Joseph, and Joseph is consistent in how he responds to God's leading. Let's look at these verses. Right in verse 16 and 17, we see this tragedy that Herod brings upon these young babies. We look into verse 19. It says, when Herod dies... An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph earlier when the Magi left and told him to go to Egypt. Now an angel of the Lord is appearing to him in Egypt. He says, rise, take your ch the child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And here are these same words in verse 21 that Joseph did earlier in chapter 1 and 2. We see this repeated Every time that God speaks to Joseph. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. 
I mean, folks, it's repeated here for a reason, and it's not just this time. We're going to talk about it a couple more times. When God calls us to something, it is his faithful servants that respond immediately and obediently. That this is what we're seeing in Joseph. It's why God's highlighting it. It's not highlighting Joseph so that we deify Joseph at all. Jo- Joseph was a broken, sinful human just like us. But he had spent his life seeking to follow and listen to the Lord well. And when given the opportunity here, he once again does it. I mean, you can think, here's the, he's a dad. He's got a wife and a child who he left the country to keep alive. And then God says, all right, it's time to go back. I mean, the faith and obedience here, there's no questioning that's recorded for us. I don't don't know if Joseph had questions in his heart, but it seems as though when Joseph's told to do something, he just does it. But me, if I'm a dad protecting a wife and a child that I've left because somebody was specifically trying to kill them and killed 20 to 30 babies his age just to try to get them. Now God says, go back. I'm thinking, I don't know. I mean, maybe. Okay. Right? There's, there's some other characters in God's story that, that were told by the Lord to do specific things and, and occasionally asked more than once. Could you clarify that for me, God? Eh, maybe we'll throw a fleece out. Oh, that worked. Well, let's flip the fleece over. Can we do this again? That's not Joseph here. Joseph is told by God to do something. And what's the only thing that's recorded? It's almost like matter of fact in the next verse, right? It's not even amazingly Joseph got up and took the child and his mother and went back. It's not, you know, contrary to most thinking... <laughs> Joseph did this. It's just almost matter of fact. Joseph rose, took the child and his mother, went back to Israel. Moving on. And I want to challenge us with this, that that God has told us to do things, and it should almost be matter of fact that we do them when we're told. That when God speaks, which he has, remember we've already established this. He has spoken. He has told us what he wants from us. Go and make disciples, teaching them all that he has taught us, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he will be with us all the way along. That's completely clear for us what we're supposed to be doing, folks. It should be almost a passing thought, and God's people went and did it. I want to fall into the category that Joseph is in here where we know what God's called us to do, and then the response is, and we did it. Right? That's what I want to be remembered for. That's what I want our church to be remembered for. That's what I want all, all believers to be remembered for. God says it, we believe it, we do it. And it should almost be matter of fact. The problem is, oftentimes in our lives, it is not a matter of fact response. There's a whole lot of other nonsense that gets woven into this usually, doesn't it? I mean, we're being honest. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but maybe we'd be a little more honest if I did. But the reality is 
We don't typically respond in this manner. And it should be challenging to read it. It should be challenging to see. God says, go do this, you do it. You get up and you do it. It should be our response, and oftentimes it's not, and, and, and sometimes it is, and thank the Lord for that, but it should be increasingly more the way that we respond as people. And think about what God can do. I mean, you can look around the room. Think about what God could do with this many people who automatically did what God told them to do. I mean, I'm convinced we, we pray for things like revival and we pray for things like more people to see the light of the gospel and know Jesus. We, we pray often for these things and I think sometimes the hurdles there are our obedience. Not all the time, but sometimes. We should be living in such a way that when people look at us, they think, my goodness, they really do believe this, don't they? <laughs> they, really, they really think that that's going to happen. They really think that what Jesus did for us does change everything. They really believe this stuff. That's what should be spoken about around the people of God, like we do about Joseph. Like, oh my word, <laughs> he just did it. He gets up and goes. It's not the only time. Verse 13, God appears in a dream to him. Verse 19, God appears in a dream to him. Verse 22, God appears in a dream to him again. God consistently is speaking to Joseph. And we see Joseph's response exactly the same. In verse 14, Joseph got up and obeyed. In verse 21, Joseph got up and obeyed. In verse 23, Joseph got up and obeyed. He ends up all the way back in Israel. He ends up in Nazareth because on his way back, God you know, reveals to him that Herod's son is now in charge. And, and this is what we call sanctified thinking here. Joseph's thinking, I'm probably not going to go where that guy is. His dad set out to kill my child, and he killed a bunch of other kids in order to get him. Didn't get him. And I'm not going to put ourselves back in that scenario again. And God says, go to Galilee, go to Nazareth, and settle your family there. And in doing so, fulfills once again a bunch of prophecies that this, the branch of Jesse will be called a Nazarene. It come from Nazareth. These aren't a bunch of disconnected events that happen to kind of flow together here. This is the hand of God consistently orchestrating all of history. So God appears, Joseph responds. And as we read these verses, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to read verses 13 through 23 again. And I don't want you looking at me or just listening. I'd like you to look at Scripture if you have it in front of you. It's, whether it's your Scripture journal or your Bible or, or an app you're looking at. Read the verses with me as I read. And think about these three truths as we finish. God consistently fulfills his promises. Satan consistently attacks God's plans. And God's people should consistently respond when he speaks. Let's read these verses again with those. 
Verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. It says, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in, Joseph to a, in, a, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream again, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. God's word is pretty incredible, folks. His hand throughout history is really awe-inspiring. And when we pause to actually take it in, my prayer is that when we walk away, we live differently in light of it. What is it that God has spoken clearly to you? Even beyond what God has clearly spoken to all of us, to go in the power of the Holy Spirit and make disciples. That's for every one of us. Don't wait for somebody else to get on that train, okay? That's for all of us. So God has clearly said to go and make disciples. It's for us to discern who and how. And when God speaks, how are you going to respond? It's my prayer that we increasingly become people who hear from God and make a plan to do it. So when you leave today, leave like Joseph did. Literally, we will get up and we will go, just like he did. And while he was called to get up and go to Egypt and get up and go back and then settle in Nazareth, we are called to go into all the world and tell people about what was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3 and fulfilled in Christ thousands of years later. That the Savior will come and save his people from their sins. And he's done it. So let's ask the Lord to help us. Because I think we, we, we will be amazed at what God will do when his people faithfully obey what he's clearly called us to do. Let's ask that he will guide and direct our steps as he has promised to do all throughout his history. Will you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would move in our hearts
not from a place of guilt or shame, Lord, for times where we may have questioned or been disobedient, Lord, but instead that you would move in our hearts from a place of freedom. That in Christ we have been set free to follow you in a world that Satan is trying to stop us from doing it in. And Lord, we do pray that you would, through the work of your Holy Spirit, in us and through us, change our communities, change our world. That we would bring the good news of the gospel faithfully to all who will listen. And that the story that even that we looked at this morning of your consistency in Satan's attacks and Joseph's obedience would challenge our hearts and we would go and, and people would speak about the word of God, the people of God in a way that is remarkable because the things you've asked us to do, we go and do. Thank you, Lord, most of all for Jesus. We're thankful that you didn't miss a single prophecy in fulfilling what you said through the Messiah. We're amazed by it. We're humbled by it, and we're thankful for it. Help us to live in light of that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.